Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Mustertagger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with CU Podcaster of the Year, our fan correspondent, Tyler Ziskin. How many, how many podcasts is this for you this week? Oh, this week is not as bad because it's Christmas. But I think we're up to, I mean, between the, if we do everything weekly, I have this one, the two free ball and weekly pods, basketball and football. Just depends on how many games because we do a recap for every game. Uh, so we ha- we actually have been doing recaps for the two basketball games as one recap. So we cheated a little bit there, but it can be up to six. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All right. Well, how was your, your Christmas? It was great. Um, went down and hung out with my wife's family in Castle Rock, just a small group of us there around us a lot. So yeah, that's good to go. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, it's different, right? But you got to do the right things, I suppose. I'm going to need to put my wife in charge of the uh, holiday food shopping for next year. I, I kind of lost my mind. I, I spent way too much money. We had prime rib. We had crab. We had fried chicken, uh, mac and cheese, lo- loaded mashed potatoes. We did have some veggies in there. Fondue. I saw. Uh, yeah, it was a little out of control. Yeah, I saw you respond to Will's tweet. It looked like you were going out of control. I need to hang out with you on Christmas, man. It looked like you were going hard. Yeah, I think I think uh, again. No, I think going forward we need to to reel that it back in a little bit. <laughs> but right. this is going to be a, a, our Valero Alamo Bowl preview episode. Here, we're going to talk a lot about the game. We will get into some fan questions as well, and then at the end, I'm actually going to chat with Chase Howell and Vinay Simlot as well. They're heading out to San Antonio, so we'll get everybody's thoughts on this upcoming game. Uh, you know, maybe we should begin uh, just kind of reacting to the invite to the Alamo Bowl. Obviously, it's a big deal for Colorado, just the second bowl game in the last 13 years. Alamo Bowl, even though they went there for their last bowl appearance, it's still, you know, a prestigious bowl game as far as the Pac-12 goes. You look on the other side, Texas, they were in that game last year, and they are not excited to play Colorado. So definitely motivation factor, which can, Tyler, play into these games, which makes it tough to bet on these bowl games sometimes. You just don't know you know, how much that motivation factor is going to be an advantage for Colorado, if at all. Yeah, I typically stay away from betting bowl games because I'm terrible at them. I like to bet the best team to win games, and that's not how bowl season goes, even remotely. Uh, It's all about who wants to be there, and that's really difficult to gauge, right? I mean, we've we've seen it before in this particular bowl. I mean, Colorado felt like they deserved to be in the Rose Bowl when we went there in 2016, and uh, they played like they didn't want to be there. So obviously I have a little bit of uh, PTSD from that game <laughs> um, going back in there again. You know, Texas is in Oklahoma State, but they are both orange. So there's a little, <laughs> there's a little bit of bad memories there. Uh, the, the trip was amazing. So I'm not going, but for those people that did decide to go, I hope it's half the atmosphere that it was the last time we went because it was a blast. Um, but I just felt like, sometimes I go on trips, right. And and you think it, it'll never live up to the hype again. Like I can't see myself ever going back to Albuquerque because of that year we went for the NCAA tournament during, Mar- uh, not March madness during um, St. Patrick's day week. And so I'm like, I don't think I could ever go back because it won't be the same. This trip is kind of on that same boat for me, throw COVID in there. And I just can't imagine it living up to the previous experiences. Yeah, and uh, it do, it definitely does feel so much different than a regular bowl uh, game. And I guess on one end, 
you don't have that long extended period of time between games where you can sometimes lose your momentum. Uh, but on the other hand, right. you, you you like to use those 15 bowl practices in a normal year to really develop guys. It's almost kind of like an extra spring practice. And that's one of the many things that has kind of kept CU down, I think, a little bit is just not having that extra prep. Um, they haven't been able to do anything yeah. fun. And that's, you know, usually a bowl week, you go down there six days before the bowl game. And yeah, you're practicing, you're meeting, but you're going to all these fun events and you're getting mm-hmm. wined and dined. And that's obviously not going to be the case. Although Carl Drill did say that, they since Texas is a little bit more open, they're going to do a few fun things uh, leading up to the game. So that's good, at least for them. Looking at the Longhorns, we've seen that they've had six captains opt out of the bowl game, which Wait, makes me wonder. I know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first reaction, too. Yeah. They still got Ellinger. They still got Ellinger, who is playing. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. So they have at least seven. Which it seems like a lot it kind of cheapens the, like, being a captain, right? If you have 14 of them on a team. The starting 22 is all captains. Uh, but they've had 23 players and 28 staff members affected by COVID-19. That resulted in the cancellation of their season regular season finale against Texas. At least two of those players are still going to be in COVID protocol for the Alamo Bowl. They haven't announced which players those are, but Tyler CU has had some positives as well. Um, out of respect for Carl Durrell, I'm not going to mention the names until he has a chance to uh, say whether or not he wants to bring up their names because uh, he's been stand up in terms of dealing with us. And COVID's a little bit more of a sensitive situation, especially if on the other side, Texas isn't revealing who they have positives from. But yeah, uh, I mean, one of them is out there on Twitter, so it wouldn't take too Yes, Chris Miller. Chris Miller has put that out there. And uh, from what I understand, at least one other defensive starter. Again, we won't name the name, but so I don't know. Obviously, Texas is a little bit more effective because of the opt outs. But then Colorado has Nate Landman's injury. So these are are two programs that are really kind of reeling going into this bowl game. Yeah, I mean, I think what separates them, right, is, yeah, they're probably going to have more guys out than we are even. But unfortunately, it goes back to recruiting. We've talked about this often. You know, their depth is four stars. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they're all good, but, you know, we're – if Chris Miller, you know, that one's out there, so we think that's good. Again, a secondary player where we're already thin, you know, it, it always tends to happen that way. Obviously, the backups behind Nate Lim and have a lot to prove and certainly aren't the same caliber of player as he is. So, for us, every starter that goes down is – there's a monumental impact there when in at Texas – you know, I'm sure there will be some cases where that's true as well, but – they just have so much more depth, so much more talent throughout that roster that you would think they would be able to withstand this type of situation a little bit more easily than we can. For Colorado, the number one key, obviously, in this game is how well do John Van D slash Quinn Perry slash Marvin Hand play in this game? Uh, mm-hmm. Is there anything close to that in terms of being another key for this game? I mean, probably just turnovers and sloppy play, right? I mean, Texas – the the Texas's back thing or isn't back thing is so funny because I mean talent wise they are there they beat themselves more than anybody else has beat them they turn the ball over a lot they're one of the worst teams in the country in penalty yards you know it's all discipline with them and a game can get evened up really quickly if you turn the ball over four times in a game so I think that that is a storyline for every football game this one isn't unique in that regard but in terms of straight up, you know, obvious gameplay matchup situations. Yeah. The um, Nate Landman departure and how we fill those gaps. I mean, we have to play better than we did against Utah. 
simple, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, I wonder how much the defensive struggles. Obviously, you're gonna you're gonna struggle more when Nate Lemon's out there. But how much of that was an emotional thing? Because that happened before halftime. You yeah. take a break, it kind of settles in. The weather was also bad, and uh, you know we'll talk about Ty Jordan and that tragedy later. But you know they have talent. Utah does. Um, how much do you think? It, how much better do you think? that combination of Van Deest, Ham, and Perry will be in this game, or is it just hard to say? I mean, you would expect him to be better. I mean, you get a couple starter weeks in practice, right? I mean, you, you get comfortable with the guys next to you. I still would be shocked if they, you know, we get anywhere that same production. I think really what you're just asking for is no blown assignments, uh, which in that position, it really – you know, it can ramp up the issues in a hurry. If you're in the wrong hole, three-yard runs can become 50 pretty quick. So, you know, Nate Nate Landman, we're not going to get 15 tackles out of Jonathan Bandis probably. But if he's playing smart, sound football, doesn't make too many mistakes that get us behind the eight ball, I think ultimately you would have to call that a success. Chip Brown, who covers Texas for 24-7 sports, said that basically Colorado is going to get a sneak preview of Texas's roster for next season. Uh, you know, maybe not, maybe not Ellinger, maybe he's gone after this year, but kind of going back to the motivation factor, Tyler, their fan base might not be excited. And a lot of these guys opted out, but you're talking, like you'd said, a lot of these backups were, most of them I would imagine were blue chip recruits coming out of high school. They're going to be really motivated because this is a big opportunity yeah. for them. Yeah, and I think the same could be said about Colorado as well, right? I mean, we're probably going to see a lot of the roster pieces that we have coming into next year as well. We're going to have to play without Nate Gladman most likely next year too. So, but yeah, for Texas, I mean, they under, you know, people there's been a lot of talk about Tom Herman, but despite all that, they they've been good in bowl games under him. Um despite not wanting to be in the Alamo Bowl last year, they I mean, they beat Utah's behind last year in that game. So, uh, they're certainly capable of showing up in situations where people don't think they are. Um, you know, we need to be ready. There's no doubt about that. I mean, if Texas chooses not to show up and it works out in our favor, that's awesome. But if you think we're going to come in here half-ass and get the job done, there's just no way. And they're frustrated out there, but they were better than their record if you really look at it. I mean, they lose a four-overtime game to Oklahoma, and their other two losses were by a combined five points. So it's not like – they were getting right. blown out any of those losses. And Sam Ellinger, yeah, we I mean, talked a little bit. Go ahead. They, they lost to Iowa State, who's a really good football team. Um, they beat Oklahoma State, who's a pretty good football team as well. So, I mean, they definitely they, – they played a more complete season, right? So we kind of know what they are at this point. They're capable of beating anyone. They're certainly capable of beating Colorado if they're playing at their best. Uh, they're also capable of turning the ball over a lot and having issues. So, to me, we'll just have to see. I mean, if we play our game – and they show signs of not wanting to be there. I hope we stomp on them. You know, like don't don't take your foot off the gas because we chose to play in this game. I'm sure there was discussions about whether or not that was the right thing to do. They chose to play the season, and you want to finish it out the right way. Yeah. What I did hear is that had they fallen down like an Independence Bowl, they they probably wouldn't have gone to a bowl game. Uh, we talked a little bit about Sam Ellinger and, uh, you know, that Texas offense averaged over 40 points a game. Like you mentioned, they had more of a full season in Colorado. Did they played in 10 regular season games? He's been really good in bowl games, Tyler. He's won all three of them, been the MVP in their last two yeah. bowl victories. Uh, do, do you worry more about him as a passer or do you worry about, you know, his dual threat capabilities? And then they've got a couple of talented backs that haven't opted out that are still in there. Yeah. I mean, both for sure. I, 
they they are capable of putting up a lot of points. And if we're depleted in the secondary and on defense, we're capable of giving up a lot of points. And we proved that in the second half of the Utah game. So the offense is probably going to have to score some points in this game. I think regardless of all the opt-outs and that kind of stuff, I think we're going to need to be ready to go. Um, Sam is a very talented quarterback who, again, just like Texas overall, does tend to beat himself more more often than not. Uh, you know, nine great plays in a row, one play you can't make to finish a draft. Um, so this could be his last hurrah. So he chose to play, and I would assume he's going to be as dialed in as he's ever been. Uh, Color opened as a 12-point underdog in this game, and I think now we're recording this, and it's nine and a half points. What what are just kind of your thoughts on the, the betting line for this game? Again, bowl games are problematic. Is this, if this game is played in September in a regular season, everybody's healthy and ready to go, I think that number would probably be low. Texas would be favored by more, but I mean, there's just so many, there's so many question marks out there that it's hard to say. I mean, every bowl game is a crapshoot. I mean, I, I kind of feel that way. I think the line has obviously moved pretty sharply in our favor. Uh, Vegas has thought poorly of Colorado throughout the year. I think until that Utah game, there was kind of an overcorrection. So I wasn't surprised to see the number. In fact, I kind of expected it to be a point or two higher. But I think it's a reasonable number. Like you said, it's tough to handicap this game and, and make a prediction. The only thing I feel pretty strongly about is that this is going to be a pretty high-scoring game. I'd be surprised mm. if there's not a lot of points put up. Have you thrown out a prediction yet? Yeah, I have 38-21 Texas on free balling. Um, just because, like I said, PTSD. I watched this game four years ago. It sucked. <laughs> um I was, we were talked about it on the show. I know this is pessimistic, classic me, right? You know, no surprise there, but it's just, when was the last time we finished the season on a high note? Right. I mean, 2016 certainly was not blown even out. Even back games. in 2007, they lost Alabama in that game. Right. Yeah. They haven't won a bowl game since 2003. That was the sun bowl. Not exactly like earth shattering yeah. result there. You know, I mean, it's been a long time. Like at some point even, you're going to have to show it. Yeah, even 2001, it, it kind of, you know, after right. the Big 12 championship, was it was a disappointment. Exactly. I mean, yeah, so it's, it has been a long time since, you know, the 2016 season was amazing. I had a blast throughout. But, you know, it, le- it had to have left a bitter taste in your mouth, right? I mean, the way that we went out to finish the season, not that many people talk about it now, but I know it still bothers me. And the way that we carried on, like we weren't able to carry the momentum, right? I mean, McIntyre was gone shortly thereafter. So Darrell is going to have to turn that around at some point. You know, we have to find ourselves in a position where you feel good about how the season ended up. I mean, even you could have said last year, right? I mean, the way that we finished the season last year against Mel Tucker was as as improved as it's been for a long time. And then of course (laughs) the results after the season ruined that. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a while. I mean, I, I know that it's pessimistic and sad, but at the same time, like I, I need to see one before I can believe it's possible at this point. Well, let me ask you this, and I'm not into moral victories, but let's say Colorado goes out there and they play well, Texas plays well as well. And you see some improvements on defense with Nate Lamon out there. And let's say Colorado loses by three points, a point. How would you feel about that going into the off season? Yeah, honestly, I- I would say if we cover period, I'll feel pretty good. That would that would be 
solid to me. I mean, you know, Texas is a good team. They have more talent than we do. Um, if you go out there again, you know, and show the world that you can play with Texas on a neutral floor or on a neutral you know, field, sorry, mm-hmm. wrong sport. Um, that's a, you know, it's not a win. That's, I can't say that, but it does show that there's improvement in the program and that there's momentum moving forward. I, I, you know, I know it's not what you, you obviously want to win the game, but if, if it's a close game and we play well, I'll be really satisfied with that. We'll recap uh, a few notes here and then get into the mailbag. And then again, Vinay and, and uh, Chase are going to join me here. The uh, Pac-12 honors were, were released here. Jarek Broussard named the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. He was also a first-team all-conference selection by both the AP and the coaches. Nate Lamon, obviously also a first-team all-conference selection. With the uh, AP and coaches, you also saw Will Sherman and Mustafa Johnson, a second-team selection. Jalen Jackson was a uh, a second team selection as a special teams performer by the AP, Sam Neuer, second team all conference by the AP. I'm sorry, no, Jackson and Neuer were both by the coaches. Uh, Carson Wells was snubbed by the coaches, but did get a second team all conference selection by the AP. Of course, Carl Durrell, the Pac-12 coach of the year, a finalist for the Eddie Robinson National Coach of the Year Award. Jarek Broussard, a finalist for the Mayo Clinic Comeback Player of the the Year. Obviously, all well-deserved here. It's been a while since... I'd have to read off, you know, all Pac-12 honors and, and take that much time to list all these guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, when you go four and one and have make an argument to being in the Pac-12 championship game, you're going to get some of those accolades. Uh, the Carson Wells one was pretty egregious, I got to say. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, the second team, you can live with second team because there's some guys obviously on the first team that are going to be really high draft picks. So you understand that to some degree, despite the fact that the stats probably have earned him first team. Putting him on honorable mention is a joke. So I was pretty pissed about that one. Um, besides that, there wasn't anything overly egregious in my opinion. I thought Makai Blackman could have gotten a little more love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's tough as a secondary player, though, right? I mean, because when you're the best player in your secondary, people just avoid you. So obviously the, st- the stats look a little different, but um, – after I, I was hard on him last year because there was a lot of hype on him going into camp and he was pretty much a bust last season, even though he did get hurt for a while. He was tremendous throughout the year this year. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause uh, I'm going to ask Chase and Vinay for their, the player they feel is the most underrated on CU's team on defense. I think it is Makai Blackman. Yeah. I would and agree. O- offensively. I would probably not, not in terms of like all conference discussion or anything, but I feel like Levante Chenault's, improvement has kind of gotten overshadowed by Brendan Rice because of Brendan's last name. Mm-hmm. No fault of his own. He's trying to distance himself from that, but yeah, well, Chanel's really been coming on. He's got kind of a last name now too. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so there is part of that. Yeah. I, I'm going to, I want to go back and listen to what I said at the start of the season. Cause I think I made probably a pretty ballsy comment about Levante about, I think we talked about him maybe leading the team in catches at some point, which I don't think too many people would have said going into the year. Yeah. I like him a lot. Um, I liked him a lot before the season. I like him a lot now. He's, he's different than Visca for sure. But I think him and Dimitri are the two guys, obviously Brendan Rice too, but in terms of leading the team in catches, that's who I would be throwing the ball to most often. Yeah. And I hate saying this stuff because I really respect Katie Nixon as a person and and I know he's got talent, but I think that receivers room is going to be better off without him next year. Uh, We've talked about, you know, the targets for Dimitri have gone down since he came back. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, yeah, their lack of usage for Dimitri has been frustrating at the close of the season for sure. Um, You know, better off. Sure. Yes. That's probably ultimately what it'll be. Uh, 
that's he's he's probably not coming back. I think we both feel pretty confident in that, mm-hmm. and I think that the position will be okay without him. I'll say that for sure. Ashad Clayton and Keith Miller decided to opt out of the bowl game. Me too. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I opted out as well. Yeah, and we we got a question <laughs> from from Troutman Five, and he asked, uh, "Forgive me for stoking the flames a bit, but." If you had a guess right now, or Clayton Harris both back next year, so uh, that, that kind of gives us a preview of the mailbag here. I don't know. I'm kind of torn on this, Tyler. I think it's a bad look when you you leave your teammates and there's practices for you to develop and get better. But this is also 2020, and yeah. they've gone through a lot, and they're not starting, and it's not 15 bowl practices. It's just game prep, basically. So I don't know. And in, in they've got still four scholarship backs, and in, in, Clayton maybe had got, would have an opportunity to get an appearance in the bowl game, but that, that wouldn't be guaranteed either. So I, yeah. I don't, if this was a normal year, it would bother me, but not so much this year. Yeah. I mean, all, entire teams have opted out. So it's hard yeah. to hold it against these kids individually. I, I will say, especially with the Keith Miller situation, there's no reason to even announce that. He wasn't playing anyway. It's like the fact that that's a storyline is you're just creating more drama than is necessary. Right. Um, I understand that it's on Twitter and stuff, but. Keith Miller wasn't playing a snap in this game regardless, let's be honest. Um, Ashad Clayton obviously is a bigger deal because he was a big recruit in this class. There's been some drama surrounding him during his recruitment and throughout his time here. I feel less confident in him being happy. Um, I got to be frank, though. I mean, Alex Fontenot and Jarek Broussard are probably getting most of the touches moving forward. So if he does decide to move on, I wouldn't be shocked. And honestly, again, kind of what we talked about with KD, the room will be fine. If that's what he decides to do, there's two studs ahead of him right now. Um, if that happens, and I've called for that on this podcast before, I'm done recruiting Louisiana. Like done, done. Yeah, they have those issues there. Yeah, it, it's and it, it, they just whatever for whatever reason they're not a cultural fit at Colorado. Like maybe if, you can pull, pull in like an offensive lineman as long as Mitch Coach sure. here. Fine, but I, I mean it is big. Like we're over my CU fandom in Louisiana. <laughs> the time has come to find guys from elsewhere because the, the drama surrounding it. And if he decides to move on, like, okay, what do you yeah. do? I mean, what do you do? There's always going to be guys that leave. And obviously that's a stacked running back room. Someone's going to move on. With Jason Harris, he's homesick and he's not playing and it's cold outside. He's from Arizona. Yeah. Don't, I wouldn't overreact there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not that worried about Jason Harris. Um, my first winter I, here, because I came out here from Arizona, my first winter here, I loved the snow at first and it, it kind of wore on me. I went back home for a long weekend and I was ready to come back to Colorado. It, sometimes you just need, you, you miss home a little bit and he, yeah. he'll get over that. A lot of freshmen deal with that. This it's isn't like, the season that these guys dreamt about, you know, when they decided to come. I I expected leading into the season that Jason Harris wasn't really going to play. He, he needs to get bigger. I mean, he's a basketball player playing football right now. That's that doesn't work out typically. I mean, you got you got to get more strength to be able to play the position. And obviously, Carson Wells is playing extremely well, so they're not really going to take him off the field. Um, would it completely shock me if he decided to transfer? I guess the answer is no. Um, he, I feel a lot less nervous about him than I do the other guys that we've mentioned before. 
we'll have to see how it plays out. I mean, no one, no one doesn't want to play and I get that, but you got to do your part too. And, and it's not necessarily his fault. Right. I mean, like he's a skinny kid. You're not all of a sudden going to walk on campus at 250 pounds. It doesn't work like that, but that's why they have red shirts in football. And before we move on from Ashad Clayton, you mentioned there's been drama with him dating back to his recruitment. Here's my PSA for Colorado fans. He's probably messing with you on some level. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like at this point, it is what it is. Like the fact that people are so dramatic about it, this this many times dealing with it just blows my mind. Like, again, I like a shot. I think he has a chance to be a good player. But if he decides he wants to go get quicker PT, I would not blame him. He's not the first person in Louisiana that didn't like Colorado and moved on. So it would not surprise me in the least bit. And again, we got two studs in front of him. Like the room will be fine. I, I want him here. I think he has a chance to be special when he's older, but in the next year, he's not going to get a ton of carries. We have a little recruiting news here, Tyler. Victory Vaca, he decided to commit to the Buffaloes on Christmas. 6'2, 345 pound defense alignment from Westlake Village, California. His composite rating is higher than 16 of the 17 prospects that signed with the Buffs during the early signing period. He's number 39 on the composite California state rankings. Obviously, he was initially a Texas AM commit, 20 other Power Five offers. Uh, uh, this, this is maybe what uh, CU fans were clamoring for on the first day of that early signing period when they didn't get any excitement. Uh, it just came a little bit later. Yeah. And uh, at a position that we've talked about, we need to continue to do well on the trenches. Um, I want to do a little research and it seems like he had less options. We get some of those guys sometime. Uh, I know that in his evaluation, people have said that he tends to take plays off. Uh, I would like to point out he's 350 pounds. <laughs> so getting in shape in general might just be something that needs to work on there. Uh, we've done very well with, he's not under recruited, obviously, but with big linemen, D tackle recruits, like we've done very well in that regard. Um, and some of those guys take a little bit of time. You know, you think about even like a guy who came from Juco, Javier Edwards, took him a year to get in shape. I mean, he was dramatically improved in his senior season. So I love it. I mean, you know, you're continuing to get guys out of California. He obviously has a huge frame. There was a long time we weren't recruiting guys that could play D1 defensive tackle. You know, we were moving guys into those positions after three years in the weight room, and they were undersized. Like, this dude's a tank. And we've got two of them now in the defense in the defensive line in this class. And, again, another Samoan, which – to me, that means a lot to me. I mean, the continued focus on that is massive because those dudes love and breathe football. That's the type of guys you want in your program. Junior Tanavasa, who's come on board as a quality control coach, has been yeah. huge in that regard because, uh, again, you, you try not to you lump Polynesians all in together, but they're, they're family-based culture. And, mm-hmm. you, and they're comfortable I, I, in that culture. You know, Caucasian coaches. people around. Yeah. Exactly. Shine DeBuff asked, did you go to the dentist on Christmas? And of course, that is referring to the Victory Vodka commitment. Uh, there was a time, I want to say maybe five years ago now, I went into the dentist and mentioned that I was going to be out of pocket. And then all these commits came flooding in. Before that, it was always when I was on vacation. But uh, no, I was, uh, we, were, we were fond doing it in the kitchen when uh, he committed. So he pulled me away from the, the melted cheese, which tell her, I know, uh, you're, you're you don't even mess with that anymore but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm i'm past my prime melt Mel, cheese and me don't get along anymore <laughs> <laughs> but anyways no no dentist there i probably need a scheduled dentist though i haven't gotten during this whole pandemic so. me too i need one back 
All right, Nip is 13 asked, there are mixed signals in the program right now. As usual, the players playing seem to think the staff is building something great, whereas we constantly seem to have drama with the younger guys. I think we all want to believe the coaches are doing things right, but I'm fearful due to the Mike McIntyre years that there might be divisions on the team. What kind of feel do you two have? I don't understand why we're focusing on the Mike McIntyre years. If you change coaching staffs, some kids are not going to be happy. And I would also like to remind you that there are 85 scholarships and only 22 spots on the field. So at some point, guys are going to leave for playing time. And we're not the only team in the country that has kids transfer out every year. That happens to literally every team. Um, it's makes, you know, it makes headlines because a guy transferred. It's like, oh, my God, there's culture issues. I mean, you know, he did a great job keeping the class intact when he came in. But, yeah, I mean, at, at some point, kids are going to be unhappy and they're going to move on. This is going to happen every year for the remainder of your fandom. So get used to it. I mean, every single kid cannot stay on the team. The numbers just don't warrant that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we have heard from players that this is the tightest CU team since 2016. So, But, you know, in terms of he's fearful there might be divisions on the team, that kind of can happen naturally, especially with the younger guys because of how the recruiting process goes now. They get on these group texts. And they form a bond, especially when they're allowed to come out on campus. You know, like mm-hmm. last year's, you know, Mel Tucker's signing class, they came out for the Nebraska game and they they built that that bond. And so when they join the team, they're going to have that. Uh, what you need to happen is that the starters, once they become established, then those leaders really emerge and then they, you know, keep everybody else in line. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how it works. But And, and everyone thinks they – should start right i mean obviously that's what you should think and and kids who came in in the same class think they should start but then you're but then you're like okay um am i going to take akeel jones and put him on the bench so this guy can play and they're like ooh, i forgot you can't play 39 people at once yeah movie buff asked how amazing does it feel to not have to cover a coaching search for the third year in a row movie i don't know what it's under your subscription numbers (laughs) Movie buff, he he knows he knows me so well. It, it, yeah, it, you're right, Tyler. A coaching change <laughs> is good for business, but I, I feel like it takes years off my life, <laughs> especially when they drag on. Uh, but takes years off my life too. <laughs> and this last one was not what you want. You want either you've had a ton of success, your your program's trending upward, and that coach goes somewhere else, and you are an attractive option for another coach, right? Or you, in terms of the coverage of it and how it's good for business, you want it to be a coach that's fired and then people are excited that there's going to be somebody new coming in. You don't want it the situation like we had last winter where Mel Tucker leaves you high and dry and then you hire somebody that has turned out to be a really good coach, at least through one season, but doesn't have that excitement factor to him. That, that, that was rough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> to put it mildly, it was rough. I think it was just a combination of who left and why and how, right, that whole process. I mean, say what you want about Mel Tucker now, but when he was here, he was the most loved football coach I have seen since I have been a fan at Colorado. I'm not going to sit here and pretend otherwise, right? So mm-hmm. there was a lot of butthurt um, involved in that process. I mean, you could have brought in almost anyone and there would have been pissed off people. Uh, Sarkeesian, obviously, I think would have been as about as exciting as you could have found in that regard. I mean, it didn't work out. People got, I think, 
kind of convinced themselves that that was going to happen, which made things triply worse than they already were. Obviously, Darrell has proven his worth so far, but kind of like McIntyre, he's going to have to continue to build on it. Going to one bowl game is not going to get it done. Yeah, it's interesting. If Steve Sarkeesian came in and had success, maybe I would be covering a head coaching search for a third year in a row. Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's certainly possible. All right, moving along. Blue Sky Buff asked, who do you think stays and who goes next year? Am I wrong or wouldn't Lamon's stock explode if he stayed one more year? I don't see any poll that shows him being picked in the first five rounds. First off, I assume I we're say, talking about seniors. That's what he, I'm yeah, assuming that's I, what he, I would think that's he, what he's thinking. With Lamon, I don't think any of those mock drafts are very good at this point. We saw Mustafa Johnson listed by CBS Sports. <laughs> midway through last season that he was going to be what, like a top 20 pick or something? Top 20 so, pick. Yeah. Would, I mean, no so, offense to Mustafa, but that was pretty wild. Um, well, I mean, what are you, what are your thoughts? I mean, where, where do you think he ends up getting drafted? I think, I think even with a, a torn AC or a torn Achilles, he's going to get drafted. I mean, we saw Juwan Winfrey get drafted and you know, you, you can put Nate Lambin on a list. that's not going to go in against your, your number, right? Uh, so you can get good value with him. I don't. I think it does push him down in the draft, obviously. But he asked about him coming back to improve his draft stock. There's also the chance he could come back and get hurt again. Yeah, and also I think his style. He's. I mean, he's not going to get faster. That that's his issue at the next level is pass coverage, and you know you don't just all of a sudden become a great athlete. So I don't really see him having much potential to improve his stock at all. I mean, it's how do you improve on a season where you could have been the Buckus Horde winner? You know, yeah. like there, there's there's not a whole lot of upside there. And there's definitely a lot of downside, uh, especially coming off of an injury. So I would be shocked to see him come back. Um, it's disappointing because it, it does make his draft stock. I think it was already pretty limited. And now, obviously, there's a, there's another factor to it that pushes down the interest. Um, he's not a three down backer at the NFL level. So there's limited upside to his draft stock, no matter what he does. But yeah, I mean, I don't see him coming back, and I and I think that's the right decision. I don't see how that would really benefit him. Yeah, if you were an NFL GM, would, would you take a, a risk with him in a late round pick? I would. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a fifth rounder. Uh, even healthy, I don't really see him going much above that. Um, you know, people were talking about how his injury is going to hurt his ability to show up at the combine, but again. I don't really see him as being the type of player that's going to go into the combine and wow anybody. That's not what makes him a special player. You put him on a football field and he produces. He's not going to go in there and run a 4-5. Yeah. Other guys, we already talked about Katie Nixon. Expect him to be gone. Mm -hmm. I would personally, and they, these guys have not said anything. This is just my own gut feeling. I personally expect Mustafa Johnson and Will Sherman to move on. Yeah, I mean, that would be tough. Honestly, if, if we'll, that see, did we'll see, yeah, yeah I mean, I, again, Mustafa is kind of the same situation as Nate, you know, he's 22. He's not going to grow two inches in the off season, which, which is the main thing that's holding down his draft stock. Um, Will Sherman, I do think that there would be an opportunity for him to come back and really improve his stock. So that one would surprise me a little bit more, I think, although he's draftable. So you can't really be disappointed in a kid if he decides to go get drafted. Oh, that's obviously great for him. And in football, you have only so many years. Um, some of the other seniors we'll see. I mean, I think the one that I feel the best about coming back maybe would be Akil Jones. 
See, I actually, I differ there. I think he can be a graduate transfer and transfer out East to be closer to his son. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. If it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for that there's, situation, I don't think there's any chance he leaves CU. But how could you blame him? He already told us as media that it, it's eating him up just not being able to be by his son right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's obviously going to get an opportunity to go home and see, and we'll see if that kind of alleviates that pain. But yeah, you're totally right. I mean, with a kid, it does make things different. I think maybe overall we we had too high expectations on how many seniors would be back. I think we'll be surprised by how many of those guys move on. Sam Neuer, you got to expect he's back. And would you have thought uh, three months ago you'd be really excited about that that prospect? No, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Yeah, I mean, I still think there's – it's not a surefire thing. You know, I, he would walk in as a starter. There's no doubt about that. Someone would have to – I think, he's, ba- I think he's back 99.9%. Yeah, well – the reason That's he was going to leave yeah, CU last year is because he wanted to be a starting quarterback in college. He's achieved that goal. Right. He can work deep into his graduate degree. There's so many reasons for him to come back. And I, I would think the Tyler Lytle decision kind of alludes to that as well, right? I mean, if he had any inkling that Sam wasn't going to be back, you would think he probably holds on and tries to win that job again. Um, so, you know, inner workings, you read between the lines on that a little bit. It probably is likely that Sam is back. I mean, Darian Rakestraw is another guy. We'll see. I mean, you'd think he'd be back. He's not going to be an NFL guy. He's going right. to get better I, coverage. Do that. I mean, that's, I guess, it partially it's do they want to go with younger guys? I mean, that's going to be the decision on some of these as well. It's not necessarily that I think he's going to go to the league. It's do they, do they want to, want to move on from some of these guys? Um, I think Rick Straw has done well enough in that safety room. You, you that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Exactly. There's, from a numbers perspective, that would you'd start to look pretty rough there. But you just don't – I mean, who knows? We'll have to see. I think uh, Kari Kush should be back as well. So, yeah, you, you probably are only going to see about three or f- maybe four of the scholarship seniors back. Will, Will Sherman, who I mentioned, is a junior. But, again, mm-hmm. I have heard there he, that, that he's possibly thinking about doing that. Uh, you if you're Rick George too, you talk about the financial hit this program took. Yeah, those seniors, if they come back in 2021, won't count against the hard 85 cap in terms of the scholarship limit. But you but still got to pay. pay you it. still got to pay for it. Yep. Yeah. And so, I mean, for your starting quarterback and, and guys like Kari Kush and Darian Rakestraw, they're starters. I think you you bite that bullet. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not just the scholarship too. I mean, food, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Gear, they, transportation, everything. They have to fundraise on average for a scholarship athlete, a hundred thousand dollars. There's a lot that goes into it. It's a lot of money per year, per year. Yep. It's a lot of money. All right. Yep. Moving along. Wild Buff asked any smoke with regards to a transfer quarterback for 2021. Does Mike Chandler get a scholarship? So on the press conference with us, Carl Durrell breathed between the lines that they're going to take another quarterback, whether it's a high school guy or a transfer and I don't think we have any indication yet which which route they'll go. Yeah, uh, there's been some rumors that Mike Chandler has a scholarship already. I don't know that to be true, but I've heard that multiple different times. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, yeah, I think they would be wise to go after a transfer. That you know, Sam might not love that, but I mean, okay, I mean, you got you got to have more than two or three guys in the room that you feel comfortable in. So. Uh, they better hurry up though, because the way Utah's going, they're going to have every transfer quarterback in the whole country going there. So, 
Yeah. Clay Millen's another one to keep an eye on. If you remember, he was down to Arizona and Colorado. He chose Arizona and he did not sign with them in December after the coaching change. So keep an eye on that situation as well. Jack CR 708 asked thoughts on the beef we got for the offensive and defensive lines in this class. Some Love big it. boys coming to Boulder, Tyler. Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite part of the class. I mean, I talk about it often on this, on the show. You, you can win a lot of football games with average skill players and really good lines. That's where you want to dominate in the football game. So to me, that's the, the gem of the class is both of the lines. That's what you want to continue to see. Uh, if you know Colorado can do that, that when they were their best as a program, they dominated on the trend in the trenches. So if we can continue to do that, I feel pretty good about our chances. You made a really good point when we were breaking down each signee for signing day and talking about the defense alignment in this class in terms of how their film is not going to make you impressed. But And I, I think there might be some frustration over time. Now, this victory vodka is, is a big deal, but some frustration with Chris Wilson recruiting over time because I think he's looking for different type of guys that are going to be space eaters. And they're not looking for those defense linemen necessarily to, to be the guys that are going to rack up big stats. They want the edge guys and the linebackers to be, to be the stars mm-hmm. on defense. Yeah. And you know, that's people who follow casually will probably get frustrated with that, but and it, it'll be frustrating if we don't have a Terrence Lang and a Mustafa Johnson in there, right? Like if you're going to get those guys, they need to produce and they need to be dominant in their roles. So, you know, he has to get the job done and he has to be right. But if we continue to, recruit talent like that where guys are dominating the line of scrimmage and guys like Nate Lehman and Carson Wells can go do their job, then Chris Wilson will be doing exactly what you need from the program. Our Jack three asked, which recruit would you like to see commit first off the 2022 recruiting class for the buffs? LE buff also asked about the first 2022 commit. Uh, I mean, there's a difference here, isn't there Tyler? They're saying, who would you like to see? And you got to kind of go with the more realistic yeah, route. I mean, yeah. obviously Gavin Sawcheck's a five-star recruit in your backyard, but I've heard that he, they basically have no chance of keeping him in state. And that was, right, yeah. I was hearing that back when Mel Tucker was the head coach. Yeah. He, he uh, hasn't shown much interest in staying in state. I honestly have not looked at the 2022 guys too much yet. Um, there's just been a lot going on in the world, yeah, right? Yeah, I've been trying exactly. to focus on one thing at once. Um, I do think Colorado kids are important, but, I don't remember if I said this on this pot or free bond, but go back and look at the last 10 or 15 years of the top 10 kids in Colorado, read off those list of names and tell me how many of them ended up being good. You know, no disrespect, but there's just you look at the list. I, I don't need to say much else. So you come back here and I would have to imagine that your reaction is, whoa. Yeah. I've taken a lot of flack because I'm I'm not changing. I'm not budging here. I think in-state recruiting is overrated and it's great when you can get a guy and he's an in-state guy like a Brady Russell. He was actually a walk-on, but those right. are feel good stories, but just go get the best player you can. And yeah, you're going to piss some people off, but you know, they've taken flyers on kids that they shouldn't have. And like, to your point, those kids never seem to pan out. I mean, and you look at the guys who have went elsewhere those kids have not really panned out either. I, your To your point, I think it depends on your situation. If you're in California, you need to recruit California well. I mean, because you look bad if those kids go elsewhere and dominate. In Colorado, I mean, you would look bad if we get let kids disappear every single year and they went out and dominated and went to the NFL, but we're just not seeing it. 
I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like you look at all those kids that go to Michigan, you look at all those kids that go to Nebraska elsewhere, they're not producing at the college level. They're just not. So, I mean, at some point you got to get guys that you think are going to go out there and play on the field. And you, you know, we're going to have to get some Colorado guys. You obviously want to get the best Colorado guys, but I'd be lying to you if you looked up and down those lists and said, wow, that was a lot of talent, a lot of impactful players at the college level. Yeah. To, to answer his question, you can maybe go with like a blue chipper like Justin, Justice Finkley. He grew up cheering for CU, but I would maybe tend to go, you know, the quarterback route because usually those guys come off the board early. And then mm-hmm. not only that, those guys are usually pretty personable kids and they start to recruit others and they can get other guys excited about Colorado if they commit. There's a couple guys, Caden Hauser, Brandon Rose, Emmett Brown. Uh, I believe all those guys are from California and they've shown some interest in CU. So to answer his question from a realistic standpoint, maybe that's the the route I would go. Yeah. You always want to start your class with a quarterback because a, they typically get um, taken early. One of you know, they, they, those guys commit early generally. Um, And they're the leaders of your team. I mean, your starting quarterback is always going to be a leader. So the same thing can be said about a recruiting class. Uh, Those are jump starters. Other guys want to go play with certain quarterbacks. You get a big name. And guys want to come play with you. I mean, we saw that with Brandon Lewis. I mean, he definitely helped jumpstart that class. So mm-hmm. it's important to continue to get somebody that you want. And this, you know, this last year, I think it will, I, I like the kid and I think it'll end up working out for us, but you don't want to take your fourth or fifth option at quarterback in every recruiting class. You, you want to get a guy early that you really liked. Agree there. Ugly rat asked if Neuer has a good year next year, do you think it will help with recruiting quarterbacks? when kids see Langsdorf has done well with them. Sure. Absolutely. I mean, any, any time that you can prove to a kid that quarterbacks can be successful and improve, you know, obviously Sam Neuer's story is important too. So uh, the ability to improve and show that you can become a better quarterback throughout your time is going to be important to show a kid. I mean, that's why teams like Boise state, um, they, they don't always recruit the highest ranked kids, but they play a lot of four-year starters that kids have been talking about for the last 20 years. So if you can go out there and prove that a kid can be a big time player, they want to come play for you. Absolutely. And the whole safety angle with Sam Noir has been overplayed. And it's like every week when I'm doing interviews with other, you know, state radio stations where, where Steve's about to play or other writers, they, they just, they they have the assumption that he's was a converted safety and uh, they don't understand that. But yeah. if I'm, if I'm Danny Langsdorf and I'm in a living room, I'm going to bring up the fact that I turned a guy that was playing safety last year into a second team all conference quarterback. Sure. I mean, which isn't false, right? I mean, it's one of the half truths. Yeah. Like you spent six years here, five and a half of them were at quarterback, but the other six were at safety. So I guess six months were at safety. So you can get away with that. (laughs) Triangle buff 2011 asked any word on Ralphie six. Is she trained up and ready for 2021? What a good year to miss Ralphie. It's like oh, the only yeah. good thing about 2020. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we've talked about Rick George and how, uh, you know, tight his coaching searches are. I feel like the Ralphie program is, is just as hush hush. They not a lot gets mm-hmm. leaked out of, out of that group. Obviously they have Ralphie at an undisclosed location. Uh, you know, and so we haven't really heard anything concrete since I think it was mid July. Rick George mentioned that they had 
a candidate identified. I reached out to Taylor Stratton. She is the Ralphie program manager. She said that's we're not ready to go that far. She said she was going to do an in-depth interview with me once they, you know, officially feel like they can announce Ralphie six. So I uh, until it. that date, I, I can't imagine there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of info out there, but you would be very disappointed if all this time you can't get one lined up for 2021. That'd be an understatement. Yeah. That Buffalo is my second favorite living thing on earth. Nippus 13 asked me, what is the name of your new pup and how bad has the first few nights with the puppy been? So yeah, we got her on Sunday. Her name is Punchy. She is a eight and a half week old uh, boxer pup. Uh, Tyler, did you ever She's watch the, the? She is. She is. Have you ever watched the uh, the Rocky series? Yeah. The Have you watched all of them? Mm-hmm. The Rocky Balboa. I think it would be the sixth in the series where he had that beaten up puppy that was named yep. Punchy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, my wife and I love that name, so we went with Punchy. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Now uh, you got to learn how to be a boxer. There you go. Yeah, you could be Rocky for Halloween. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's tough because, uh, when you wean them from their, their litter mates and their mom, they uh, have separation anxiety. So, uh, yeah, we're dealing with that, but she's been a good dog. She's, uh, she's very fun. So she'll bounce back quick. Dog oh yeah. Best. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's like having a kid, you know, you gotta suffer the, the cries Let and whines. Cry it out. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Real quick before we get, uh, into the next part of this with Chase and Vinay, Tyler, uh, I wanted to ask you on Monday. Are the Buffs going to get their first victory in Tucson since 1965? What do you think? I think so. I really do. I, I'm, I'm as confident in this team as I've been in a long time. And the opportunity is there. Uh, Arizona will improve throughout the year, I think. But this is the least talented Arizona team I have seen in a long time. Um, you know, it, will it be disappointing if they lose? Yeah, of course, right? But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to hurt their resume. I, I, it's going to be this along the same lines as that Tennessee loss right if you get any wins on the road it improves your resume uh the way that they're starting pac 12 play is pretty brutal obviously arizona ucla and usc all on the road then oregon at home they have to find a way to get one of those uh which one i don't really care if you get two they're sitting real real pretty that'd be nice and a couple other Notes. Uh, I don't even want to end this show on this. So before we segue over to that other segment, we'll mention uh, the you know the fact that Utah freshman running back Ty Jordan died from a gunshot wound on Christmas. Uh, yeah, I had put on our message board watching Utah's last game that after he had made a beautiful touchdown around that he's going to be a major problem for the Buffs these next two or three years. And it's just and everyone else. It's just heart wrenching that uh, that's yeah. not the case. You know. I mean, you know, it's always – I feel like these situations are hard, right, because this stuff happens all the time and you just don't hear about it. And it's talked about a lot more when you're an athlete. And I get why, but it really shouldn't be that way. But, man, it's so heart-wrenching to see young people die. You know, it, you just never want to see it regardless of why or when or how. Uh, just not – it just breaks my heart every single time. I mean, these – you have so much to give. And obviously he did. I mean, that he was an NFL prospect. And again, that shouldn't really matter. Like man, the, the person matters more, but yeah. an opportunity, I think in a situation like this, where you can support for your family moving forward and change the prospects of your family history. Right. And when something like that happens, it's just terrible. 
also thoughts and prayers out to NC Buff as he battles lung cancer. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously uh, there can be disagreements on our message board, and but man, when when it push comes to shove, CU fans really come together, and it was on full display. Over twenty thousand dollars donated for his medical expenses in just less than two days. NC Buff, for those that few that few folks that don't know aren't that aren't on our site, he's been doing the newsstand for. A, roughly 15 years. And yeah. so uh, definitely our, our thoughts are out there with him. But uh, again, just the support of everybody. It's pretty incredible, Tyler. For sure. I mean, I couldn't believe how quickly it blew up. I haven't had an opportunity to send anything his way, but I will hear shortly. Um, that's, I mean, it's incredible, right? I mean, in a time where the board has been tough at times in the past year, for sure, um, to see something like this. And he, let's be clear, he's if not the most deserving, certainly way up there on this list, a guy who has stayed away from all that and just generally been amazing to everyone that he's ever met. So he deserves this and we're thinking about him and if there's anything else we can do. I hope he lets us know because he's a big part of this community. Definitely. Well, Tyler, we'll have you sign off here, but uh, enjoy the Alamo bowl and uh, we'll get back on here. Maybe do a season wrap up show. Sounds good. Say hi to the boys for me. Go bus. Now I'm joined by Chase Howell and Vinay Simlot. Of course, you've heard them on buffstampede.com with uh, their post-game show, and they're also part of Jake Shapiro's Hoops podcast. Guys, uh, when you signed up for that post-game show, did, did, has it kind of gone about as you anticipated or is it a little bit different than you thought maybe? I, I guess I'll take it. Um, I've had a lot of fun with it. I, I've taken more of a little bit of a fan correspondent position. So I've been a, a little bit more of a fan for the whole season. And I've tried to have as much fun as possible. And obviously when um, they're winning a lot of their games, those post-game shows can be a lot of fun. I'm sure it'd be a lot different if they were losing those games. Yeah, yeah I think it's a lot of fun too. It's uh, I love the interaction because we've been doing them on Facebook Live. And there are some fans who tune in every week and send their hot takes to us and send their comments. And that to me is a lot of fun always. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are lucky. You think back, if this was like the John Embry era, that, that would be some tough sledding to try to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even the Utah game was a little bit tough. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What, what do we, you know, we don't want to dive too deep rag on anybody, but you know, it's just, we were both kind of down after the game and it's so much better when they went. So, the Buffaloes are heading down to San Antonio for the Alamo Bowl. And Vinay and Chase, you are heading down there as well. You know, it's going to be different than a normal bowl week. A normal bowl week, they would have head down five, six days in advance. They have had a whole week of pop and circumstance. And I would be there alongside with them. This year, it's a little bit different. The post-game interviews are going to be done over Zoom. So I'm actually going to be covering it here from Colorado. Couldn't move some stuff around. But I'm excited for you guys to go down there. Even though you can't do the press conference and all that, you're still going to be in the press box there. It should be a fun deal. Yeah, it should be a great experience. I went down there uh, four years ago and had a ton of fun. Obviously, a lot more things going on than they did um, the the River Parade. That was a ton of fun yeah. uh, when, when all the players came in on the boats. And um, the Alamo Bowl does a great job with different events and that type of stuff. So that's a little bit disappointing, but um, it'll just be cool to watch a football game. I know you two have been to all the CU home games. I haven't gotten to see a football game in person yet this year, so I'm just excited for that. Yeah, and it's uh, a lot like a lot of these players. It's my first bowl game. I didn't go uh, to the Alamo Bowl back then, so I want to go and see what it's all about. Uh, I'm excited. But uh, you have family down there you get to see beforehand as well. And yes, 
the the rumor is that uh, a little golf might be played by you two down there. Oh yeah, well we have all day Tuesday, 8 p.m. late <laughs> kick. What are we going to do all day? Um, there's some nice golf courses in the area, so. Yeah, one of the benefits of not having some uh, the pump, right, is that we get uh, the morning off. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right, I expect uh, videos being texted to me throughout your round. I want to live vicariously <laughs> to you guys. We so, what are your that. thoughts? What are, What are your thoughts here? Uh, obviously, Texas is dealing with COVID issues. They're dealing with six guys that uh, have opted out. Colorado has had some COVID issues as well, uh, and you always try to factor in the motivation factor in these games. You know, one side has it, the other doesn't, but the other side has a lot more blue chip players on it. So just what are your overall thoughts about this matchup for Colorado going down to San Antonio? Yeah, I think you covered a lot of them there. Um, It's very interesting. That's one thing about bowl games. And um, I'm a gambler. I think people know that, that I like to pick games. (laughs) Uh, And one of the things you have to look at is motivation and and what teams are going in um, really trying to win this game and, and what teams kind of, their season didn't go the way that they wanted, so this game doesn't matter as much for them. And I think they're in a, a little bit of that type of situation here um, with Texas and Colorado, but I still think Texas will be motivated. Uh, they, Sam Ellinger has won all three of his bowl games so far this year um, so or in his career, so they've been a pretty good um, bowl team the last few years, and, and I still think they're a good team. They have had some opt-outs, um, nobody too important, um, it looks like to me, but uh, they have had a few of them and that'll obviously change things, but I don't think it should change it too much. Yeah, I um, I agree with you when you when you talk about Texas, their coach, Tom Herman, has never lost a bowl game. I think he's three and oh, also just like Ellinger is. Um, so that to me kind of tells me something like Tad Boyle, where he um, he likes to always win the first game over at the Pac-12 tournament. That's something they can hang their hat on. <laughs> so in terms of motivation, I think they've got it. The other thing that I'm really intrigued by is one of the, their slot receiver, Joshua Moore, who kind of like um, Dimitri Stanley for the Buffaloes, he had three really good games at the beginning of the season where he was their leading receiver. And then after that, it's kind of fallen off. So he will, uh, to me, he's a player to watch on Texas um, to see how he performs coming out of the gate. Obviously, going against an experienced quarterback is uh, is tough, uh, especially when you're without your best defensive players. Just do you have do you have some concern, concerns outside of that? What, what what are your concerns for this Colorado team going into this game? Well, I really do think this is the first big test for this secondary um, that they've really had all season. I don't think they've played a quarterback quite like um, the one that they're going to face on Tuesday, and. Yeah, they've just been playing some poor quarterbacks throughout the season. So uh, this will be the first real test. Um, I I think that they'll be up for it. I think the secondary has played better than a lot of people think this year. Um, But it'll be interesting to see how they play. I think that that's kind of what I'll be watching throughout the game. And I'll be watching uh, the defense, uh, specifically Nate Landman. I mean, not having him is going to be big for the Buffaloes, obviously. Um, You saw against Utah that um, Colorado uh, wasn't able to stop the run, basically, after Nate Landman left. And, and um, yeah, that's, I guess my question is, can the defense respond to the linebackers um, without him? Now, Colorado can put some points up in this game, though. You know, Texas has been giving up quite a few points th- this season, and uh, you've got the, the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. What are your expectations with just Colorado going against that Longhorns defense? Yeah, we'll see if um, if they can establish the run. It'll be interesting to see what Coach Chev's game plan is. I know some people were a little bit upset against Utah um, 
that they tried to pass a little too often early, especially on in the first quarter. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they establish the run. Texas is actually a pretty good run defense just off of their statistics and a, a little bit more of a poorer um, pass defense. So they're going to have to throw the ball to be able to put up points. Um, and, and I do think they will be just because of Texas' defense has given up points to pretty much everybody this year. They play in a lot of shootouts, um, and I expect that to be very similar on Tuesday. You mentioned Texas's run defense. One point that I wanted to make in the games that they've lost, I, th- I don't think they've played well on defense against the runs. So they gave up more than 200 yards to TCU, also to Oklahoma. So if CU, I think, can run the ball well, can establish Jarek Broussard, it'll be a good game for them. Yeah, and uh, what what are your just your overall predictions? Do you have a you know a feeling, a gut feeling about this game? Again, it's a hard game to handicap this. A whole season, I felt it has been hard to make predictions just because, first off, you, you don't have other games to, to go off of, and then you're having games canceled. And, and it's just been a really tough year, I feel like, to get a full gauge on things. But do you have some feelings about this game going in? To me, it's it's about establishing the run. And if they're able to do that, slow the game down, take the ball out of uh, Ellinger's hands, be able to control possession, um, then I think it will be a close game. And I think CU could probably pull it out. We'll see if they're able to do that. But um, I, I, I expect a really close game. I expect it to be within about a score um, going either way. Uh, Texas has put up a ton of points this season. I think it'll be a high scoring game. Um, I'm guessing it'll be something like the UCLA game that we saw early this season where you have a veteran quarterback on the other side, and both teams put up a ton of points. Do you have uh, score predictions? Ooh, I haven't even thought about. It. <laughs> I haven't even thought about it. You normally ask us early in the week. Um, well, going off with you can think about this for a second, Chase. Going off with Vinay said there, I expect the same thing. I expect a lot of points, and uh, I'm going to go Texas 41, Colorado 35. I think that yeah, there's the, the opt outs, but. You look at Texas on their sideline, the guys that maybe wouldn't have been that motivated for this bowl game are the guys that you know, are, are eyeing that NFL already. You're going to have blue chip guys replacing them. And yeah, they might be inexperienced. They're going to be motivated for this football game. It's going to be kind of their opportunity to make a statement for going into 2021. So um, I, I like, I don't like, I think Texas will win this game, but uh, it would shock me if one of these two teams doesn't score 40 points in this game. That's how much I think the offenses are going to have success in this game. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good prediction and a very good point about the opt-outs is it's not, I, it, it's not like they're losing elite, elite players and a school like Texas will always have good players behind them um, and will be very motivated. I'm also going to pick Texas to win. I, I kind of want to make it high school. I'm going to go just under 40. I'm going to go 38, 30. Uh, okay. I was waiting for your text, Adam, but uh, I think my my <laughs> score prediction will be 51 to 48. Whoa, okay. Real, real fireworks score. down there. Yeah. Texas, Texas. I'm choosing Texas, so. Okay, gotcha. Who have, you, who have you guys felt have been some of the more underrated players on CU's team this year as you've done those post-game shows? Well, I I think we have to bring up Carson Wells, and he's not underrated to uh, CU fans by any means. I think a lot of people know how important of a player he was this season. But come on, didn't even make one of the all-pack 12 teams. First team or second team just seems completely ridiculous. Obviously, he uh, led the FBS in tackles for loss per game. 
that's usually something that would that would put you on one of those lists. I, I couldn't believe it when he wasn't on uh, on either the first team or the second. Team. Yeah, Chase, uh, I I agree. Like if you, I understand the national awards are maybe going to overlook what he did in terms of his tackles for loss average being best in the country because the sample size is smaller than other some other you know conferences. But yeah, it was very egregious. Now I will say so that was the coaches poll where Carson Wells didn't get first or second team. The AP came out on, I think it was Christmas and Carson Wells was second team there at least. So does that mean that uh, writers are smarter than coaches? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) They probably watch more football. I I think I feel pretty comfortable with saying that, like just overall watching more football. I know that they coaches watch more tape, but just uh, watching all the games around the country and, and all of that stuff. But you would think at least like the Pac-12 coaches know that they have to prepare for Carson Wells every time they play Colorado. And and it could have been the Pac-12 coaches that didn't play CU that didn't vote for him, but it, it was really weird to not see him on that list. They should collaborate that. They should have, you know, kind of like I think it's what the NBA All-Star game where a certain percentages the fans, why can't you do 50-50 writers, coaches? Because like you said, mm-hmm. the writers are watching more college football but the coaches are breaking down film. So both have a different perspective on it. You mesh that together. Do we really need both of these all conference teams? It, it kind of is confusing at times. Yeah. I would love to see them combine them and figure out a formula to do that. You should do that with the, the other poll too. I mean, it's more of a, I, I can't imagine many of these coaches are filling out that entire top 25 list, right? Isn't that mostly the sports information director that's doing that? I would imagine. I was thinking about that because uh, they had, who was it? Uh, Dabo that put oh, Ohio State yeah. at number eleven on his final <laughs> coach's top twenty-five poll. <laughs> I was trying I think to think. That's of, going on the whiteboard. Yeah, exactly. I didn't understand. He, he was trying to give Ohio State more motivation, but I don't actually think that like somebody like Nick Saban has the time to go through all the games that weekend and try to put together his top twenty-five, or even that that one of these coaches wants to. Yeah. Right. yeah. Vinay, any underrated guys on this team for you? Yeah, I think I think um, Chase nailed it with Carson Wells. I think another one is Akeel Jones. When he didn't play, um, you noticed on the field. And we've talked a lot about Nate Landman, how good he's been. I think Akeel Jones has been um, not just as important, but he's been right there with uh, Nate Landman to how important he is to this defense. Yeah, I was going to say safety Isaiah Lewis, but he was on at least honorable mention all conference. But Kai Blackman should have been on that list as well. He's been very quietly good at, as a cover corner this year. Yeah, Isaiah probably the most improved player. I guess you have to put Jarek Broussard there, but at least the most improved player on defense uh, for this team. He became a huge piece at safety, ended up playing pretty much the whole game uh, throughout the season. I think that's a great one there. And also Terrence Lang. I, I don't think mm-hmm. he gets enough credit. Um, for what he's been able to do on the defensive line this year. Uh, he's just fun to watch. I, I like to watch him while CU plays defense because he just dominates offensive alignment. I think it's going to be the case as long as Tyson Summers is here. Their defense is going to be suited for those defensive linemen to be more in the grunt work, right? They're going to be space eaters. They're going to be taking on blocks. They're going to let the the linebackers be the star. And so uh, it was cool that at least Mustafa Johnson got recognized because uh, he has not popped as much as maybe his impact has been on this team. Yeah. He didn't put up maybe the numbers that we've been used to with Mustafa, but he's still in a very important piece. And 
I know offensive line coaches going up against him. I have a ton of respect for him just because of what he's able to do. Um, and, and obviously we saw that with the all pack 12 teams. I'm trying to think of a few players on offense. Cause we gave a <laughs> bunch of credit to the players on defense. Um, I thought Vontae Chenault had a good season after he was suspended uh, for the first game. He's probably, he cemented himself as one of the top wide receivers on this team. And then I, I don't even want to give credit to just one offensive lineman, but I think just the offensive line as a group uh, deserves a ton of credit for how they were able to play this season. I think we saw four different offensive lines in five games this year for the Buffaloes, something mm-hmm. like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, it looked like Neuer had a clean pocket for most of the season, which was great, and they were able to open up those big holes for Jarek Broussard. Yeah, even when Neuer had made some mistakes, it was the defense kind of baiting in, him into it, right? It wasn't necessarily that he was having to run for his life. Um, yeah, so maybe Coach Rod is, is the coaching MVP then, based on what you guys said? Well, at yeah. least – I think the press conference MVP because I love listening to that guy. (laughs) He's hilarious. But I definitely give him uh, the coaching MVP or at least most surprised um, by his coaching abilities. I know he got uh, a a lot of slack when he was hired. Um, A lot of people didn't understand why they were hiring a high school offensive line coach. And look at look at us now one season in. That's how it often looks, right? The, the One of the lowest rated guys in a recruiting class is going to come in and be the best. And same with coaching hires. So uh, we, we try to have uh, opinions, which is great. But, uh, you know, the fans can sometimes uh, have to eat crow late, later. Obviously, Sam Crow, uh, Sam Crow, Sam Neuer served up the most crow this year. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There were a lot of people unhappy uh, when he was announced the starting quarterback. A lot of people that thought it'd just be a dead season when he was announced the starting quarterback. Maybe that should be a nickname. Sam Eat Some Crow Neuer. (laughs) There it is. Yeah. Uh, I'd also like to give some credit to Taylor Embry just because of all the injuries that the tight ends had to deal with. Um, He was dealing with a lot of new tight ends, walk-on tight ends. Um, He had a very tough year, and those guys were able to play very well no matter who he threw out there. So Colorado's either going to be, you know, five and one or four and two after this game, based on what you've seen from Carl Drell in this program in, in tough circumstances. What, what are your expectations with this program going forward, kind of big picture wise? I'll let Vinay go first. <laughs> um, I think this will be. It won't be a great uh, Pac-12 team. It won't be one of the top Pac-12 teams, but I think it will be a consistently good team. I've seen a lot of things out of Durrell that I've liked. I think the way he's handled this season shows a lot about how he is as a coach. He hasn't been like a Scott Frost out here making excuses with every game that uh, goes by. He hasn't been one of those coaches that goes super up and down. He's been pretty even keeled. And he reminds me a lot of Tad Boyle on the basketball side of things. Maybe it's because they have the same haircut, but but I'm hoping that he has the same level of success that uh, Tad has had with the basketball team. Maybe just a few less F-bombs with his coaching than, than Mr. Wall. Yeah, he, he doesn't wear his emotions on his sleeve quite as much as yeah. uh, as Tad does. Yeah, and maybe that was why people were so surprised when he got into it a little bit with Neuer, just because he had been so calm throughout the season, and that was the one time we've we've really seen him show some emotion. But um, I'm with Vinay. I think this is a he's a coach that can get them to a bowl game consistently, maybe not every year, um, but at least most years. I don't know if they're ever going to be a special football team I don't know if they'll ever be a national title contender under Darrell um, but I think it's definitely a step up from from what CU's been used to over the last 15 years or so 
And Chase, like me, you're a big recruiting guy. We've seen the fans, they were a little frustrated uh, during the first day of the early signing period because there wasn't that surprise in there. Arden Walker goes to Mizzou. I think if Victory Vaca had just committed a little earlier, maybe the, the, the vibe on the message board would have been a little differently. But going even back to Carl Durrell's first stint at UCLA, that was maybe one of the knocks on him is that, yeah, he was really good with player development, but the recruiting wasn't as to the level that they wanted it to. I give him a full pass. And I know there's a lot of CU fans that disagree with me for for 21 recruiting just because of the situation he was thrown into. It's hard to sell Boulder when you can't get a kid out to Boulder. Uh, he was already already behind the eight ball with offers for that class. 2022, though, you know, I think you have to you have to judge maybe what the staff's ability is as recruiters going into this class and going forward. What are just your overall thoughts on Carl Durrell and recruiting so far? Yeah, I think that's the most important point um, when it comes to putting this whole class into context is them not being able to visit. Um, and I talked to Coach Shev the other day for a story that I'm writing for the Post, um, and I asked him how difficult it has been without being able to bring kids to Boulder. Because one of the things that he was talking about, we were talking about um, Texas recruits and their ability to recruit Texas over the last few years. Um, and one of the big reasons he said that they've been able to have success there is they've been able to get them to Boulder. And once they see Boulder, they um, obviously see the surroundings, but m- more importantly, kind of the weather. Um, and they're able to see how beautiful it can be even in, in the fall um, and some of the winter months and all that. And, and Chev admitted that it's been really difficult um, not being able to bring them because that, that's kind of what cements them. And I think covering recruiting over the last few years, we see a lot um, of their commits come right after a visit. It seems like the week after an unofficial or an official visit. So I, th- I think there is something to that of um, them just not being able to get to Boulder. And the other part of that is they haven't been able to go um, see them either. And Carl Durrell's never met a recruit face-to-face since he's been hired because he hasn't been able to make any trips um, or or go on any recruiting trips or talk to any coaches, build any relationships um, because he was out of college for so long and and now uh, (laughs) and he got hired and all of a sudden they weren't allowed to travel. So um, obviously a lot of struggles this year but i i do kind of like this class um i can kind of see what Durrell is building i first of all i think junior tanavasa deserves a lot of credit because they're recruiting a lot of polynesian kids more kids than um, we have seen in years past and and there is kind of a blueprint for that uh in the pac-12 in terms of how to be successful in the pac-12 recruiting offensive linemen and defensive linemen and recruiting for toughness um i think we've seen that at, at utah and it has shown success. Utah is not a team that recruits top classes every single year, but they're successful every single year. So um, if they're able to find the right guys, which I do think is what they're doing, um, obviously we're going to find out in in the next few years whether they have recruited the right guys. But it seems like um, Darrell kind of knows what he's looking for in a recruit, and I think we might see that pay off down the line. And you also got to throw in there the fact that these recruiting rankings are – done differently as a result of the pandemic. You know, usually these recruiting analysts get out there and see these recruits in person so much. And you're also talking about like California kids, for instance, they don't have any senior film. So the last time we've seen any of these kids play a football game is more than a year ago. Um, And there's also the in-person evaluation that the coaches didn't get a chance to do. So I think you have to expect that there's going to be more surprises and more busts in this 2021 class than we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And 
So do you know what they are right now in terms of ranking? I, I think it's top 50, isn't it? Right right around. They were below that the last time I looked. But okay. maybe Mr. Maybe the Vodka. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought Vodka put them into the top 50 or right around the number 50, um, which is about where they have been over the last five to eight years. Uh, obviously, last year was kind of an anomaly, but um, it's not like they recruited much worse than they have in years past. So if they were able to win uh, with those other guys, they should be able to win. with some As of recording, they're 54 nationally on both 24-7 sports and the composite. And then in the Pac-12, they rank eighth on 24-7 sports, ninth in the composite. But you look at the average, you know, they're only ahead of Oregon State in terms of the average rating. Yes. So so obviously I I like to take average into account. I think that's very important. But um, eighth or ninth tends to be where CU has landed over basically the last 10 years, since 2008. Uh, They were seventh last year. Um, so and everybody was ready to throw Mel Tucker a parade, right? Right, and and they only ended up seventh. I know they were higher nationally than they normally are, but yeah, um, if you look at it just in the conference, it wasn't that much different. Well, Vinay, you're relatively new here. Uh, I know you've done stuff with uh, you know CU student publications. Uh, kind of give everybody uh, some background information on you. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. This is my fifth year at CU. I'm doing a uh, dual degree, so I'm also an aerospace engineering major. <laughs> Mark, so uh, if you, yeah, if you want some, uh, if you want to talk aviation, I'm always happy to do that. Um, I, I was kind of the similar story as as you talk about with Chev. I grew up in Virginia, but once I got out to Boulder, I was like, this is where I'm going. So for the past five years, I've been covering CU sports. Um, uh, their football team, basketball team, lacrosse, all of that volleyball. So, uh, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been working around the sports, uh, for the past five years, but this is my first year with uh 24 seven. So awesome. for those, those people that follow uh, CU media or some of them have been in CU media, some of our listeners, Vinay works with closely with buff sports live. Who's headed by Steve Jones. You've been what the executive producer the last two years, three years, three years now. Yeah. Yeah, so the the EP for the last three years produces that show, which is a great show um, about just CU Sports Weekly, and they've been doing it for a really long time. Aside from golf, anything else you guys have uh, planned uh, aside from the covering the game? No, that that's really all we got. It'll be a quick trip, two nights. Um, so really, our only full day is Tuesday. I leave a little bit later on Wednesday, but uh, obviously enjoy the Riverwalk, walk around town a little bit, but uh, try to stay as safe as possible and stay last, warm too there you go yeah the last alamo bowl they had m&ms with mike mcintyre's face and mike gundy's face on there <laughs> if uh, if they do that with uh, the coaches this year can you can you save me a carl drill m&m i will for sure yeah you you don't want a tom herman one as well <laughs> no i think I, I don't know he might be back there next year but i don't know how well that's going to age that that m&m <laughs> yeah, the, the McIntyre one didn't really age very well either. Huh? We don't need to. We don't need to end this podcast on on a downer, <laughs> though, guys. What, what's the goal? What, what are you guys hoping to shoot at that course on uh, on Monday or Tuesday? I'm looking to have fun, Adam. I, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm a pretty big time golfer during the season. In the summer, I play probably three, four times a week. Uh, I haven't. I just went and hit a few balls as quick as possible because I had like a little hour to spare. Um, but other than that, I hadn't picked up a golf club in like three weeks. So I'm just looking to have some fun. 
It's been a couple weeks for me too. I played at uh, Flatiron and the ground was completely rock solid. So just hope it goes better than that. All right, guys, we'll have a good time down there in San Antonio. And to all the listeners, thanks for tuning in.